All right, are you ready for the word? We're talking about family. Had a powerful service last week in regards to family. Hopefully today you've come ready to receive some more about family, about what God's doing. Very excited about today's message. I feel there's a lot of practical takeaways. I like practical, don't you? Don't you like the, these are things I can go home today and begin to do. That's what you're gonna receive today, but you are going to need to take notes. Please grab a notebook, use your phone. We do provide notes in the app, and I encourage you to use those, but I want you to write some thoughts of your own because I know the Holy Spirit is gonna speak to you directly about your life, but I'm gonna give you a lot of practical things that you can start even today. Today, if you were to title the message, it would be, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's a great confession, amen? That's a declaration over your house. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Open your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 24. Let's start there. Proverbs chapter 24. It's our foundation verse for the series. Proverbs 24, verse 3 and 4. The Bible says, A house is built by wisdom and becomes strong through good sense. The King James uses the word understanding. Through knowledge, its rooms are filled with all sorts of precious riches and valuables. And so you see this idea of the house being built. There's effort. There's design. There's intentionality. There's some work to do in building your house. You know, leaving your house unintended or not being intentional is not going to produce the house that you want or the house that God's even promising us. There is some effort, intentionality in our part. A house is built. Say built. It's built by wisdom. And that's God's wisdom. The only wisdom the Bible really focuses on is God's wisdom. Amen? God knows how you work. God knows how your teenager works. God knows how your child works. God knows every phase of life you will progress in. A house is built by God's wisdom, and it becomes strong. Say strong. How many of you want a strong house? Raise your hand. Why, why do you need a house that's strong? Because there's storms that come. There's issues of life. There's things that beat against that house to try to knock it down. The big bad wolf comes, and he blows on it. That was a joke. Not a good one, okay. <laughs> Why do you need a strong house? Because stuff occurs that tries to knock the house down. But you need understanding of some things, some understanding of one another, some understanding of times and seasons, some understanding of emotions and what to do with those emotions, a temptation, what to do with those temptations. Understanding makes it strong. Through knowledge, the rooms are filled with all sorts of precious valuables. Joshua 24, 14, that's the verse that we quoted as the title. This is Joshua saying, as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. As for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. I want to point something out about Joshua's declaration in that. Joshua is at the end of his life. Joshua is speaking to all the elders, all the leaders of Israel, after they've walked through a generation of conquering territory, possessing land, taking out giants, seeing God's faithfulness to his promises. And so this is Joshua after living his life and seeing God being faithful, declaring that me and my house, we will serve the Lord from this day forward always. And I wanna bring that out because I wanna appreciate and understand that this statement came from a life that has been blessed by living for God. And he's declaring over his house this perpetual blessing, saying we're not gonna serve any other gods because we've seen the reality of our God. We've been blessed by our God and we want a long-term vision for our family line, our family line. Can you get a vision for your family line right now? For your future generations right now? I know that we're trying to survive so much in culture, we forget that if the Lord tarries, there are generations to come. We need to have some planning and some seed in the ground, come on, and some boundaries that help us protect the future generations that are coming from your life. We cannot, the devil would love for you just to get caught up in what's happening today because then you sacrifice tomorrow. Come on now, church. Others may choose to worship idols, Joshua is saying. Look, other people may choose to worship these other gods, 
that are around, or the gods of Egypt that your ancestors used to worship. Other people may do that, but as for me and my family, you know, we live in a generation where people are constantly saying, worship this, worship yourself. This is what you should believe. That's what you should believe. And you need to draw a line in the sand like Joshua, especially those of you that you have seen God's faithfulness. You have seen his blessing. And you draw a line in the sand and you say, you know what? We've seen those gods are not gods. We've seen those things come and go. And you know what we've seen? We've seen our God last, our God stand. His promises are sure. We are making an intentional decision. This, that the Lord is our God. We're not, we're not looking around anymore. We're not shopping anymore. We're not, we're not playing the one foot in, one foot out game. We're all in as a family. We will serve the Lord. This is not a family trying to be blessed. This is what I want to bring up here. Because there's, there's individuals that are coming into faith in God, and you will make adjustments saying, wow, we're coming out of darkness into light, and we want God's blessing, and so let's align with God's will, and let's align with God. We're coming out of not knowing God into knowing God, so let's start aligning with Him. That's one group of individuals. But Joshua represents a different group in this moment of his life. He is not saying we will serve the Lord in order to be blessed. He's saying we have been blessed. Our family has seen the goodness of God. And we declare that we are not leaving him. We will never forsake him. Why would we let the legacy of blessing stop with us? Are you hearing that, church? The reason I say that is this. Too many times we think messages on family are just for families that have gone through rough stuff and are just making a decision to serve God with their family. I'm saying there are legacy families in this church that have loved God for a long time, and may you renew your covenant to say, you know what, we have been blessed as a family. The reason our family has the kind of joy and relationships and peace and prosperity in, in all these areas is because we have served the Lord. It's not because we pat ourselves on the back. It's not because we just got lucky. It's because you have chosen to serve the Lord and you recognize it's because you've served the Lord. That's why you make this declaration one more time, not to be blessed, but because you know why you've been blessed. Are you seeing the difference, church? You know why you've been blessed. It's one thing to change to be blessed. It's another thing to say we've been blessed and because of that, this family will serve the Lord because we've seen the hand of God on this family. And then like any successful business, what we're gonna be talking about today is implementing reproducible practices, systems, and habits. Why, why would you say that, Pastor Kevin? Because if a business is going well and it's experiencing blessing and prosperity and breakthrough, you have to set up certain systems. You have to set up certain practices, certain habits to make sure it stays a successful business. Are you understanding, church? Why wouldn't you do that with your family? You realize why your family's been blessed. You realize it's the hand of God. You realize it was learning God's word and speaking God's word and, and being a part of the body of Christ. You know why you've been blessed as a family. So then you set up reproducible systems, reproducible habits. That'll keep the blessing going to your children, to your grandchildren, until the Lord comes. Don't leave it to chance. Don't, don't just wonder, maybe my grandkids will get it. You can set up routine and practices and habits that begin to perpetuate that blessing and culture of serving God throughout the generations. Some of these habits we're going to talk about too many times, we look at everything in the Old Testament as if it's all just law. But you understand, one of the reasons God gave instruction, which we call law, was to help them perpetuate blessing. Now, I'm not here to put us back under the law. We are saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. Amen. But please do not throw out every one of God's instructions, come on, as if it was bad or it's something that God doesn't desire. God clearly lays out certain things because he knows it will help pass on your beliefs. It, help pass, it helps pass on a heart and time with God and experience of God's faithfulness. Amen. That's the reproducible practices, systems, and habit. Just like a business. A generation of business is successful. You want to make sure the next generation keeps the business success going. Same thing with your family line. Hear that phrase again. We will serve the Lord. We 
as a family, you and your house will serve the Lord. I hear something in that sentence. Please write it down. I hear choice. I hear decision. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I hear choice. I hear decision. There are other families that didn't choose that same path. Joshua is saying, look, I can't control everybody else, but I can look into my own home. I can look into my own family. And by decision and by choice, we decide that we're going to serve the Lord. We're not based on emotion. We're not based on passing trends or fads. We choose. Say choose. We decide who our God is. Amen. I hear that in that language. I hear the idea of leadership and intentionality. I'm going to speak to those of you that are leading a home right now. Take leadership. Amen. Take intentionality. I hear through Joshua's words, I hear leadership and intentionality in that statement. Our house will not serve the Lord without intentional leadership. Your house will not serve the Lord, mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, whoever's raising this family right now. Your house will not serve the Lord long term without leadership and intentionality. Can I hear an amen? Amen. You got to be courageous sometimes. You have to speak sometimes. You have to lead. Amen. Everyone else is vying for your children and your grandchildren to lead them, to be an influencer upon them. It's just you and your house. Come on, church. Let's get, a little, let's get a little feisty here. Let's get a little Italian here, if I can say it. You know what I'm saying? You mess with me, you mess with my family, you mess with me, you mess with my whole family, you mess with my son, you mess with all of us. You know what I'm saying? You touch one of my kids, you touch us all. Right? You don't mess with me, you don't mess with my family. Why? Because I know a guy. We need to step it up and to say, this is my house. Say, my house. Sometimes, uh, let's be honest, some of us have given the leadership of our house over to our kids. That's wrong. That's backwards. Your kids are not the leaders of your house. Come on. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. That takes intentionality. It takes leadership. Take your leadership. Take your leadership. Parents and spouses, our leadership and authority at home is safest. I want to give you this parameter, though, because here's the thing. Sometimes you you take that one sentence and you go home and you're like a bull in a china cabinet and you're wrecking everything. Pastor Kevin said, I got to take leadership. From this day forward, we're making some changes around here. (laughs) Listen, there are some guardrails I want to give you real quick. Come on. I'm going to save you some trouble. Parents and spouses, our leadership and authority at home is safest and most effective when it falls within this boundary, when you can say, follow me as I follow Christ. Come on. This is not you just kicking the door in today after church saying we're making some changes. This is about you first pursuing Jesus Christ with all your heart. Mom, dad, leader, whoever you are, over the home, make sure you're pursuing Christ. Make sure you're following his example, which, by the way, wasn't just one of authoritarianism. Jesus is our leader. Jesus is our head, but he's also the first one to put on the towel and wash the feet of those that he serves. He came not to be served, but to serve. Too many of us leaders of our home want to sit in our easy chair and bark out orders to everyone else. We need to make sure we're serving too, helping make this house a home and a better place, not just barking out trying to be the the big cheese or whatever. That's not in the Bible. The word big cheese, I don't think is in the Bible, but you know what I'm talking about, right? Say it after me. Follow me as I follow Christ. That's how we're going to keep this thing on the rails. We're going to make sure that our mind space, that the fruit of the Spirit is being operated in. Come on now. The wisdom of the Holy Ghost is operating in us. We're not just trying to be the boss. We're trying to be a head, a covering, and all those things that we're supposed to be. The Bible tells us, talking about intentionality, Proverbs 22, 6, train up a child in the way they should go. Train up a child in the way they should go. We do not let our kids raise themselves. This is talking to you. As for you and your house, we will serve the Lord. We do not just let our kids go raise themselves. 
or grandkids, if you're the one leading in that capacity. We do not let our kids raise themselves. And the other thing I want to say is we don't let teachers raise our children. They help us. They help us. We do not let the government raise our children. This is about being intentional. This is about being leaders who follow Christ. Remember, that's first. That's first. We do not let TV raise our children. We do not let social media raise our children. We do not let peers raise our children. Godly parents raise their children. Amen. It's that spirit from Joshua. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. He included himself. He's not they will serve the Lord. We will serve the Lord. We, including himself. Amen. Let's get practical today. Our house serves the Lord. What does that mean? What does a house that serves the Lord look like? Please write that in your notes. It's a good question. Because we can get excited about it and say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Well, what does a house that serves the Lord look like? What are certain ingredients in a house that serves the Lord? What are certain markers that you would look for in a house that serves the Lord? How can I measure if my house is serving the Lord? It's one thing to say we do it. We even have little plaques that we put on the wall or coffee mugs or little you know, pictures in a nice frame or something that says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. But how do we know if that's happening in the four walls of this house. Would you like to know? What does it look like? What does it do? I will say that it may look differently in certain families and traditions and preferences. Not everybody's exactly the same. I'm not here to make cookie cutter families out of this. But throughout the generation, I think that there's some similarities. I want to share some of those similarities to you today. Here's a few ingredients, and then I'm going to give you some structure that'll help. Remember habits, systems, processes. I'm going to do that towards the end. Right now, let me just talk about general ingredients that I want to see, that I would look for to test whether or not my house is serving the Lord. It's a house that's serving the Lord. First ingredient is this, a God consciousness. God consciousness. It's one thing to say, as for me and my house will serve the Lord, but is there a consistent awareness and sensitivity to God inside the home? Let me give you for instance, if you just watch whatever trash you want on television with no conscience whether or not God would care, I would challenge whether or not you are God aware at all times of what's happening on in your home. If you can just have any old conversation and cut each other down and be vicious and mean to each other, there's a God awareness that needs to happen in there. Because there's a certain way you speak to one another if you know God is listening and that God is in the middle. God is in the house. God, would you talk that way in the sanctuary? Or you're like, no, that's a sanctuary. Well, your home is a sanctuary too. Would you treat people that way? Are you hearing what I'm saying? It's a God awareness inside the home. That's an ingredient I would look for. It's a God sensitivity inside the four walls of your home. There's people that would say, no, no, we should never do that in church. But then you go home and you do stuff all over the place. God awareness. God's sensitivity, God is always there. And that's not a fearful thing. It's not like, let's be scared, God is here. No, you want God to be there. That's what you're hoping for. As for me and my house will serve the Lord. We want the presence of God in our homes. How many of you want the presence of God in your homes? Raise your hand. Of course you do. But there's an awareness of God in the home then. There's an acting like God is in the home. Amen. God conscious. God honoring, that's part of that God conscious, but God honoring, there's a desire to please the Lord in all areas, both in private and in public. That's why even when nobody's looking, I'll make the right decision. I'm not gonna lie even if nobody's gonna catch me. Are you hearing me? I'm not gonna take something that doesn't belong to me even though I could get away with it. Why? Because I'm God honoring. I'm God honoring. There's a sensitivity, there's an awareness, there's a desire to please the Lord in all areas of life. And no, we're not perfect. Nobody's saying you're going to be perfect. But there's a desire to please the Lord in your heart. Just because you go to church and you check it off the box doesn't mean that you live with a desire to please the Lord. If I could say one ingredient that has made my personal life successful over the years, say, Kevin, what's the secret sauce? Everyone wants to know the secret sauce. I can, the only thing I could say in the secret sauce is this. My whole life, I just believe God's real. I love him. I want to please him. That's it. That's the secret sauce. 
This is, you know, that's why my conscience is really, really sharp. Because if I step out of alignment, I say something, I'm like, ooh, that was kind of rude. I can't just ignore that. I've got to go back and say, man, I'm sorry that I hinted or said, or I, I can't touch it. You see what I'm saying? Because there's this, just this desire to honor God. I mean, when, I was, when I was in high school, I used to have a church similar to this, just attended it. I remember just walking down the hallway of the church and there was paper on the ground. I just walked by it like every other teenager and something in my heart just said, go pick up that paper. And I'm like, why? It's not a big deal. It's just a piece of paper. But I couldn't get away from it and I had to go back as like a 16, 17 year old and go start picking up the paper around the church just because my heart just saw it and just nobody applauded me. Nobody sat there and celebrated it, but just something in my heart just wants to please God. And that's who you are. That's the ingredient. This is not about law. This is not about, you know, just fulfilling just um, uh, instructions or structure. This is about something in your heart that says, I want to love God. I want to honor God in everything that I do. So when you're checking to see if you and your house serves the Lord, look for a God consciousness, a God awareness. Look for a desire to please the Lord. Number three, practice thanksgiving. Is there a spirit of gratitude in your house? Are you thankful for what you already have? Do you see God showing up? Do you talk about the goodness of God inside the home? Not just at church, praise God brother, praise God sister, but in your home, can you recognize the goodness of God where you or your kids begin to say things like, man, God did this this week. Isn't it, isn't it amazing how God provided that? Or I had this, this happened to me today, but God showed up. There's a spirit of thankfulness inside the home towards God. There's some worship going on, not just singing songs, but testimonials inside the home. Mom, Dad, have you told the kids anything you're grateful for from the Lord recently? Are we always talking about what isn't happening? Are you celebrating the goodness of God inside the home? Are you always like, we don't have this, we don't have that? Grump, grumble, grumble, grumble all the time. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Inside of my house, we're going to recognize the goodness of God. We're going to talk about the goodness of God. You begin to see the goodness of God, and they begin to train up a generation that sees the goodness of God so that you perpetuate the blessing throughout the generations. Are you following me, church? There's a spirit of gratefulness and gratitude inside of a home that loves the Lord. Your kids don't just think about God like obligation and law and what you can't do, can't do, can't do. There's all, they, they hear the benefits from your mouth. They see it because you point it out to them. God helped us here. God helped us there. God brought us through this. Amen. It's good preaching. <laughs> ingredient. One more ingredient. And there's others, but these are the four I was supposed to share with you today. God conscious, God honoring, practice thankfulness. There's a culture of love in the house. I'm going to read through a lengthy passage of Scripture in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4 through 7. This is from the Passion Translation, so I want you to be able to find that maybe on, on, on Google later if you don't have a, passions, a Passion Bible. But I just like how it expressed what we would consider this passage on love, defining love. Because we can say our house should have a culture of love, but what does that look like? If you say your house should have a culture of love, what does love look like? How many know love is not a feeling? It's not a feeling. So what does love look like? When, when, when the Bible wants us to have a culture of love inside of our homes, how can we test it? How do we know if there's a culture of love? going on inside of our homes. Well, it's gonna look a lot like this. Are you ready? It may be on the screen. If not, just listen. It could be in the notes on the um, app. This is the Passion Translation. Love, verse four. Love is large and incredibly patient. It's a good word. Love is not small. Love is large and incredibly patient. Defined, there's little definitions next to it that'll help you out. Love is large and incredibly patient. What does that mean? It means love patiently endures mistreatment. It could mean that love is incredibly patient even in difficult relationships. Love transforms the spirit. You know, throughout different seasons of our lives, each of us are going to need some grace from other people in our home. And sometimes you don't know if love is patient until it's tested. You can say, my love is patient, my love's committed, until you don't want to be committed. Are you hearing me? Sometimes... You, committed to your kids, committed to your spouse, committed to your parents, your parents committed to you, whatever. 
But I love that love is patient. It endures mistreatment. How will you know if you love unless someone does it wrong and you still respond in love? Your husband is not always going to do love right. Your wife is not always going to do love right. Your kids are not always going to do love right. Are you hearing me, church? And you don't know if you love until it can experience either lack of appreciation or even it can experience negative emotion or action and you still love towards them. That is not to excuse bad behavior. I'm not sitting there saying that, you know, they should just do whatever they want. They need to obviously have an encounter with God. We all need awakening. We all need to grow. But the truth is even you will at times do love wrong and they will need to give you grace too. They will need to love you. Come on now. Because not everybody does love right all the time. Amen. Our younger families and younger married couples need to hear this. Especially if you think that love is a feeling and that you fall in and out of love with one another. Love is a commitment. Come on, church. This is good stuff. This is building a house. This takes work, sweat equity, intentionality, leadership. Love is gentle. Love is consistently kind to all. It refuses to be jealous when blessing comes to someone else. This is a good definition when we start talking about the family of God in the church. That you're not jealous of the blessings that come to one another in the family of God. You can celebrate somebody else being blessed. Why? Because you love them. You want their life to go forward. You want them to be blessed. Love does not brag about one's own achievement nor inflate its own importance. Love does not traffic, listen to this, this one's very, very good. Love does not traffic in shame or disrespect, nor selfishly seek its own honor. I love that. I want us to be very careful. That word shame has been coming back more and more in my studies recently, how we sometimes unintentionally don't realize it. We use shame to get people to do what it is we want them to do, whether it's our children, other people. Are you hearing me? We do not use shame. It's not like God. That's not follow me as I follow Christ. Christ doesn't use shame. Amen. He can correct. He can align. But he doesn't shame you. Amen. Love does not traffic in shame and disrespect nor selfishly seek its own honor. Love is not easily irritated. The definition of easily irritated is love is not overly sensitive. Come on. Love is not overly sensitive. I will not have a raising of your hands if you believe you're overly sensitive. I'll ask your spouse. <laughs> Just kidding. I have mercy on you. Love is not easily irritated. But why would that be there? Because we as human beings have this tendency. It's not to shame you again. It's to, re again, awaken that, you know, maybe I'm a little easily irritated and that has to go away. We're looking for love in our home. We're looking for the ingredient of love in our home. If I find myself being easily irritated, we need this love walk to increase. Doesn't quickly take offense. It's not resentful. Does not keep score. Love does not stare at evil. Love will overlook offenses and remain focused on what is good, refusing to hold resentment in our hearts. That's a hard one because we sometimes want to stare at what someone isn't doing. We want to stare at where they're falling short. We want to focus always on the negative. But love doesn't sit there and stare at evil all the time. Are you understanding? We start focusing on good things. We start speaking life. Love joyfully celebrates honesty, finds no delight in what's wrong, injustice or unrighteousness. I just want to say that real quick. Love does not celebrate or delight in injustice or unrighteousness. If you say you love your kids, then you can't just let them live however they want to live. We cannot celebrate unrighteousness, which means love, hear me, write this down, love says no sometimes. Some people think loving their kids is saying yes to everything. Yes, sure, do that. Go ahead, walk in front of the train. Go ahead, step off a building. I love you. I would never tell you not. I don't want to squelch your creativity. Come on. Sometimes love has to say no. We're not going to celebrate unrighteousness. And that doesn't mean I do not love you. 
It means I love you enough to tell you the truth. I love you enough to tell you the truth. Love is a safe place of shelter. Love covers all things like a roof covers a house. Love does not focus on what is wrong. It will bear with shortcomings of others because we all have shortcomings. Like a roof, it protects and shields you and could say that love springs no leaks. It is a safe place for others to shelter, not to be exposed. For it never stops believing the best for others. It never loses faith. Love never takes failure, I love this, as defeat, for love never gives up. Love never gives up. Let's talk about some of those habits, those routines I was talking about, some of those structures and systems that will perpetuate a godly home for years to come. Are you ready to write fast? One of you? What in our home routines or culture promotes a God-centered family? I wrote down maybe a dozen things. I'll try to go quickly. It's not a complete list, but it's some starting points. But I'm going to say this as well. I'm about to give you about a dozen things that are systems, systematic things, habit things, like I said, that will keep the house on the rails. And if you raise your kids to do it, and then they raise their kids to do it, and they raise their kids to do it, it perpetuates genera generational blessing, okay? But I don't want you to be overwhelmed by my list. Some of you are perfectionists, and you're like, if I don't do the whole list, I'm not going to do any of it, and you get overwhelmed. i got to do it perfect. It's not about doing it perfect. It's about having understanding. Remember? Wisdom, understanding, knowledge. And you learn over time to do some of these things, and you become better at them. So today I would encourage you, try not to tackle the entire list at one time, unless you want. I mean, if you actually want to try, sure. But you may say, I need to add one or two or three of these things to start with. It's kind of like getting healthy. Sometimes when you look at getting healthy, if you try to fix everything in like one day, you just wake up one day and you're like, I'm never eating sugar. I'm only drinking water. I'm going to the gym one hour a day, every day. Only going to use organic deodorant, you know, whatever. <laughs> and you're, just, you're changing absolutely everything. Just start with sometimes one or two things. Is that okay? Can I move on with my list without you being intimidated by my list? Is that okay? I'm not trying to create burden here. I'm trying to give you guidance. All right. I also want to point out about something special about my list. I like my list. <laughs> I want you to see something special about my list. It's significant. This is not a don't do list. This is a do list. Sometimes as Christians, the only things we talk about are the things we don't do. But I want to encourage you, these are things that you do. Okay, because if you only focus on, we don't do this, we don't do this, we don't do this, we don't do this, it can become a very negative list, a very negative mind space. I want to talk to you about things that we do, things that we add, things that we can multiply blessing in our lives. I heard a quote recently that actually impacted me. I'll give it to you. It says this, it is mathematically impossible to create something positive by only eliminating something negative. It is mathematically impossible to create something positive by only eliminating something negative. If you only focus on what you throw out and you never add the right stuff in, you're still not increasing the home. Are you hearing me, church? So you have to know what to add, not just what to take away. And so this is my to-do list. I'm going to use my little illustration over here as we do this because I want to point out, I'm going to start building a structure here of a home. It's my little blocks. I know you still like to play with blocks every once in a while. It's okay. It's okay to play with blocks. But something I want you to understand about this list, it's not just one point on the list. When you say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It's a series of choices. It's a series of decisions commitments, all combined together that begin to build the house. You hear what I'm saying? Let me give you for instance. My very first point is go to church. That's the very first point on my list. Say, go to church. Go to church. Absolutely. But I'll tell you this. Just going to church isn't going to build a house unto the Lord. There are other things that we need to add, other points 
that we need to make sure are included because if you just say, we go to church, that means for me and my house, we serve the Lord. There are other systematic habits that need to happen that perpetuate a house that serves the Lord. There are a lot of people that go to church, but inside their home, they do not serve the Lord. Is that good, church? And so it's important that it's the sum total of all of these decisions working together that help make the house. So number one, go to church. Can you just, just make that a commitment that we're gonna show up whenever we're in town. We're going to church, it's fine. For traveling, we're gonna listen to it online, whatever. Is it okay every once in a while to not maybe make every single service? Yes, that's gonna happen, we understand, that's part of life. But as a family, as a philosophy, you don't wake up every Sunday and ask the question whether or not we're going to church. You go to church. As for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. And it's just part of the culture of your home. Boom. There's one block in the house. Boom. One block in the house. Number two, we volunteer for the work of the Lord as a family. Please write these things down. He's like, Pastor Kevin, this is way too simple. Thank God it's not super hard. Right? We go to church. But you know what? We don't just sit in the seat. We also perpetuate a culture in our family of helping volunteering. We serve. What do you think you're teaching your kids? What do you think you're teaching your grandkids? You're also creating a good church for everybody to be a part of, so when they come to church, they show up at a church full of volunteers so that everybody's getting their needs met, and so it perpetuates a culture of blessing. Come on, are you seeing how this works? We go to church, and we serve, and we volunteer in our church, or the work of the Lord in some capacity. Another block. Ready? We give our 10%. We pay our tithes. We give God our first and our best of our income. It's part of the culture of this family. You've watched mom and dad give their tithe. Son, daughter, you're going to give your tithe. We're going to perpetuate a culture of honoring God, not just with our words, but with the fruit of our hands and the fruit of our labor. We acknowledge that God is our source. God gave us strength. God gives us favor. God gives us the provision, it comes from God. And we bring our gift, we bring our tithe. These are all things that create that godly home. I'm gonna also say something about this tithe thing that I think sometimes we overlook. If you're supposed to consistently bring 10% of your increase into the house of the Lord, into the storehouse, then there's also within that the assumption that you're going to be continually harvesting, sowing, harvesting to bring increase. Let me say it another way. If you're consistently expected to bring tithe into the storehouse, that means you're gonna have a job. You're not gonna sit at home like a lazy spouse, come on husband, and not provide for your family. You're hearing what I'm saying. Listen, we work, we work. Now, you may be a single mom, and you've got to work, praise, I understand that. We're believing God for harvest and increase. I'm going to talk to some of the guys here. Can I just talk to some guys? Guys, we need to get a job. We need to go get a job. And you get a job, and every, day, every time you get paid, you bring 10% in the storehouse. And you honor God with your job. You're sitting at home, being lazy, expecting your wife to go get all the money. Here, get a job. Please, go get a job. It's expected in it, and it's not, that's why this idea of tithing, it's, it's a consistent action of work. That means you're consistently working, amen. And you're bringing in increase and harvest into the house of the Lord. It's really quiet. <laughs> we go to church. We serve at church, we bring our tithe into the storehouse, we're consistently working, finding work, pursuing work, and we're bringing our harvest to the Lord. We give to missions. That's part of having a global vision, desiring the world to be evangelized. Do you see how this is changing the atmosphere of your house as a family? Consistently going to church, consistently serving at church, giving your tithes and offerings to honor God, giving in global mission and outreach, 
so that it's not just about you, but there's a vision for the world to be saved, a vision and compassion to meet the needs of those around the world. Another one. Mom and dad. Ready? Mom and dad. Personally grow in God's word. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Parents, leader of the house, covering of the house, whoever you are, are you consistently growing in God's word? What are you reading in God's word? Say, well, I don't read the Bible. Well, start. It builds the house. If you can say, as me and my house, we serve the Lord, but you don't read God's word, you're missing a major component in building a godly house. There's no shortcut to just getting your eyes, getting your heart into the word of God. This is not 30-second TikTok videos. This is not just podcasts where someone reads one scripture and talks for an hour. This is you reading the Bible, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, underlining it, letting it speak to you, word of God speak. This is building a godly home. Again, we can say, as for me my house, we serve the Lord. We have a godly home. We go to church. But what about these other blocks that create systematic, reproducible habits that then perpetuate a godly home. Are you receiving this? Are you reading God's word? This isn't to condemn you, it's to identify. If you're not reading God's word, start. It's that simple. It's not about guilt. It's about this is what you do. This is not just what you take away. This is what you add. Let's add God's word. Get into equips classes. We provide them every Wednesday night. It's a study in God's word. Get in God's word. Can I hear an amen? Amen. Are you growing in God's word? Another one, mom and dad, leaders of your homes, do you have times of prayer throughout your week? Listen, this is not rocket science, man. Do you pray? A lot of times people talk more about prayer than they actually pray. Like, we'll pray about it. Really, did you? When? Show me. We're praying about this. Oh, that's awesome. When did, when was that? Well, I told everyone on Facebook we're praying about it. So, I mean, that's like prayer. When did you talk to God? At all. Well, before our food. It's not enough. Right? If you, if you consider mealtime prayer, your personal prayer time and growth with God, it's not enough. Amen. Well, how do I do that? Start. It's not, this is not hard. Like, get up 10 minutes early and go pray. What is prayer? Prayer is not these long, drawn-out religious talk. Prayer is you sharing what's going on in your life with God. That's it. And taking some time to listen. Taking some time to listen. But again, this is a key block in your home. Look, if you're not praying in your home, look, no matter how much we teach, no matter how many marriage classes we provide, no matter how much you say you want a godly home, if you're not praying, the home is not going to grow in God. You're not going to grow in God not talking to him, not reading his word. I mean, let's fix the easy stuff, right? I wonder how much God could do in our marriages if we spent time with him because he could sort us out personally. We want to go to counseling. We want to do this. And counseling's great. I love counseling. God bless counseling. But again, so many times we want other people to hear God for us when you have access to the throne of grace. You are the temple of God. He died on a cross, ripped the veil, so you could have personal interaction with him so he could talk to you. That's good preaching, man. Pray. And if you don't know how to start praying, let me give you an easy practical thing. Show up on Wednesday night in this room, 7 o'clock. One of the best ways to start praying is get around other people that are praying. Even if you just listen for a month. But it's a start. It's a start. Amen. Another, Another block is this. You filter decisions through God's word. You do not just act or react based on emotions. But this does require you knowing God's word. What does that mean? It means you go to God's word and you make decisions going before God's word and going to him in prayer before you just make all the decisions all the time. Should we move? Go to God first. Don't just make a decision based on money. Are you hearing me? 
act like you serve the Lord in your home. Bring him in. Filter every decision. How, our kids are doing this, they're going through this. Rather than just reacting, is there anywhere in scripture that might give you wisdom into how to help your child in that area? Is there anywhere in scripture about how you're supposed to respond to your spouse who's doing this? Can your mind at all filter through the, 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 um, the filing cabinet of scripture that says, this, is, this happened before. God said this, this is how I'm supposed to respond. Let the word of God lead your actions. Let the word of God filter. And I know it might sound overwhelming to some of you at this point, especially if you've never really read the Bible, okay? Or you've only read Proverbs and Psalms your whole life. There's so much in the scripture. And if you just let yourself consistently ingest the word of God, it will begin to speak to you. It will turn into what's called rhema word and it will come to you. So I'm not asking you to just make this happen. The real discipline is getting your eyes in the scripture consistently and what I'm saying to you that your decisions are filtered through scripture will begin to happen naturally. Are you hearing me church? So many times throughout my life my first reaction or first thought is what does the Bible say about that? I don't make myself do that but it's my, my life does that naturally because of consistent practice and putting that word in and the Holy Spirit getting involved and bringing it up. But that's, a, that's an evidence of a home that serves the Lord. It's not just about what you want to do. It's not just about what's being offered to you to do. It's not just reacting. There's a submitting to the word of God, a leaning not on your own understanding and acknowledging him and his word and letting him lead you in decisions. Another simple one, and I'm going to go over in time. Just gonna, I'm just going to take it. Another decision is this. The family table. Throughout the Bible, God told his people to make sure they held what was called the Sabbath, which was the end of the week, they would do no more work, and they would all get together and be in the house together. Now, I'm not saying that we do it exactly like the Jewish nation and practice all the things that the Jewish nation has done, all this stuff. But I do see the wisdom of God in this, okay? I do see the wisdom of God that at least once a week, you and your family sit around a family table and you turn off the devices and you look each other in the eye and you eat some food together and you have a conversation together, not in front of the television. Simple, okay? This is not judgment. Listen, yeah. I'm just saying the wisdom of God even built into Israel this idea of everybody slow down, everybody put the work away, everybody sits at the table, and let's be a family this time during the week. That practice shouldn't disappear just because we're no longer under the law. Are you understanding this? There's a healthy habit there. There's a healthy structure there that'll perpetuate conversation, parents, talking to kids, things organically coming to the dinner table that happened during the school week in conversation. Sometimes it's laughing. Sometimes it's discussion. Sometimes it's quiet because nobody has anything to say. Not so much in our house. Our house is very loud. But there's just conversation that happens at least once a week where you're sitting around a family table looking at each other eye to eye. I saw a t-shirt yesterday at Cracker Barrel. We went to Cracker Barrel yesterday. I don't know why you need to know that. In case spiritually that makes a difference to you. We went to Cracker Barrel yesterday. Um, but there was a t-shirt there and it said, the Wi-Fi's out, spoke to my family, they seem nice. <laughs> yeah. Everybody, we need to reconnect. We need to disconnect from the internet and reconnect to real people. Come on, church. It's so simple. But come, what if you made a commitment that says once a week we're going to have a family meal? Not to keep going back to the Italian thing, but there's some families in our church in Illinois. They were very, very strong Italian. And every Sunday, they had spaghetti and meatballs after church. All the kids, all the grandkids, they would all come over. I love that. I love that. Have a family meal once a week. You just get together. Another one, another practice to build your home. And again, it's not just one brick. Remember, it's not just, hey, we go to church. It's all of these pieces put together create and establish this long-term home. Talk, to God, talk about God at home. That's my next one. 
I'll go quickly through these last ones. Talk about God at home, intentionally, and even spontaneously. Listen, if you never talk about God at home, then you're, it's not just first nature. He's not in the center of your life. I'm not saying that you just sit there and go, God, 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 God. But out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth speaks. Right, church? So somewhere in your home, you're either talking about, hey, I read this in Scripture, or you're praying for each other about something, or a conversation is going on about, well, this is what the Bible says. And you begin to discuss, not preachy, preachy, preachy. You discuss the Word of God. It comes up. There's conversation about God in the home. And I'm not saying just force it. I'm just saying, look, if God is your center, if, if you're excited about the things of God, remember practicing thankfulness? If these things, then talking about him is natural. Talking about my kids is natural. Talking about my wife is natural. Why? Because I love them. My heart is full of them. They are the center of my world. Well, God is the center of my world. So somehow God should come out of my mouth. If I'm never speaking of God, then I question whether or not he's my center. And that's not religion talking. That's not just being dis like saying, well, he should be so religious. No, it's, he's so in love. Not so religious. I'm not religious about my wife. I'm not religious about my kids. I love them. I, I lay my life down for them. Are you hearing me? Pray with your kids on occasion. Again, this is going to be different. For, some people pray with their kids every night. Maybe when they're little, you pray for them every night. That's great. But as they get older, maybe that's not possible. So again, this isn't about condemnation. But listen, you should practice praying for your children with your children. Not just praying about them in the secret place. I'm saying place a hand on them. I'm saying slather them with oil on occasion. Are you hearing me, church? Can you take a little bit more of this? Are you understanding this? You got this? Are you awake? Are you there? Pray with your kids. You know, needs arise. Make sure you pray with them too, right? They're concerned about a school play. They're concerned about a test. One thing I love about my son, Gabriel, is he makes sure every night we pray with him. He comes and he's like, pray, with, pray for me. And I start praying for him. And I pray normal prayers. And then he's like, well, pray about this. And then pray about this. And pray about this. I mean, this kid's got a list, man. And it just keeps growing depending on the day, right? I got a test. I've got, I've got my school play and I'm nervous about this. I love that. I love that he tells me what, that there's this relationship where, first of all, he believes in the power of prayer. And that he can trust that mom and dad are going to pray. Amen. Consistently you pray with them. Occasionally you pray, the needs arise, personal crisis arise, birthdays. Some of my favorite times, we have, a, we have a meal with the family, whoever can be there, and it's a time to pray over their year. Embrace that. If praying for your kids isn't like, well, it should be normal, but what I'm saying is like, start somewhere. Then on their birthday, make sure that you pray publicly over them and pronounce the blessing of God over them every year of their life. You could start that. Amen? Bedtime prayers, even until they move out. Who knows? Maybe they'll call you when they're in college saying, pray for me. You know, praise God. But why would they do that? Because you've been praying for them and with them all their life. And again, please don't receive condemnation over this church. This is not you saying, look at all these things I haven't been doing. Stop it. Do not let the devil condemn you right now. This is not about condemnation. This is about learning some new things. This is about starting to add some things, starting to get a vision for your family and implementing them through wisdom, through implement them with, with wisdom. Amen. But I would say the same thing with your spouse. Pray for your spouse. Pray with your spouse. Pray over your spouse. Join hands with your spouse over key decisions, over... These things, again, they're not hard. They, they should be things that we do naturally, but no one maybe taught you to do this. Maybe mo your mom and dad didn't serve the Lord. You never saw your mom and dad pray. So you begin a new process. You begin to pray. Again, you can go to church once a week all your life, but if you're not implementing praying, you're not implementing the word, you're not joining your spouse in prayer, all of these things make a home. All of these things make a home. And know when you're at your best. For instance, 
Praying with Maria before bedtime is not my best. I am done. I'm done. By bedtime, I fall asleep in the middle of our bedtime prayers. We're praying, and I'm like, she's like, wake up. What? She's like, finish. I was like, I did. And she's like, no, you didn't. But in my mind, I finished the prayer because that's how spiritual I am, people. If she was more spiritual, she would have been in tune with the end of the prayer. But I won't go there. No, it's true. Bedtime prayer is not my best time. I'm done. By bedtime, me and Jesus have spoken. Like, I am done. So find your best time. Find your best place. Simple things. I only got three more, and we'll finish. Simple things. Celebrate holidays. Look, we ha- holidays are in our calendar, even the Jewish calendar. They had holidays for a reason. It wasn't just so people could eat food. It was for them to remember certain things about God, certain things about what he had done, certain testimonies. So make a big deal about holidays. Don't just give presents at Christmas. Talk about the meaning of Christmas. Go to Christmas Eve services. Receive communion together. Are you hearing me? Easter service is coming up. Let's make sure we're there. Let's bring people with us. Let's let our, church, our kids know why we're going to church, volunteering at Easter, being a part of the service at Easter. Because as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord and we will leverage these holidays to continue to bring beliefs, history, culture, longevity, testimony, faith into our children. Even in Exodus chapter 12 verses 21 through 27. I won't go there, but it talks about the Passover meal. God implements the Passover meal where annually throughout perpetual future of Israel, they were to have Passover where they would remember when God brought them out of Egypt. And he says in that verse, you could look at it, Exodus 12, 21 through 27, it says, your child will look at you one day and say, mom, dad, why do we do this? Why do we eat this food? Why do we only have unleavened bread? Why do we practice this ceremony? And you are to tell them forever to remember that God brought us out of Egypt. We were once slaves and then we were free. So God is saying, when your kids go through the ceremony, when your kids go through the holiday and they say, why do we do this? This is a wonderful opportunity for you to teach your beliefs about what God has done, proven, your testimony, the culture of faith that we carry on, year after year after year. Amen. Last thing. Use your home for God. Listen, I've preached so much in this sermon. This is like like Thanksgiving dinner for you all. This is one more thing, if you can take one last thing, but this is huge. Use your home for God. Invite people from church over to your house you'll start having some of that God dialogue just naturally. Hey, what about that sermon today? Pastor Kevin, that, he said this. The Word of God said this. Remember when Jesus did this? Oh, that was powerful. That happened at the altar today. Someone prayed for me. Da, 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 da. Oh, we volunteered and we got to work with this thing in the kids' ministry. Get people from church in your home. Invite people over again, okay? We're, we're not in lockdown anymore. You can have people over in your home. Invite people from church to your home. Host a group in your home. Host a Calvary group. Host a prayer group. Host a meeting of moms or ladies or prayer group, whatever. Use your home. Let godly things happen inside your home. Your kids are watching. Your home is not just there for you to like eat, sleep, and go to work. God gave you a home Allow ministry, listen to this, allow ministry to happen inside of your home, not just in your church. Let ministry happen where you're praying for other families, you're with other families, you're talking about God with other families. Are you hearing me, church? Let ministry happen in your home. You know, when we were, um, when we were first having children, um, Isaiah has his health journey that most all of you know about, born with cerebral palsy and all those things. Um, then we had Dan- Kylie and Isaiah, our oldest. Daniel came like 18 months later, so we had like three kids under the age of two, which is awesome. And then, um, <laughs> but here's the thing. One of the things that our journey with Isaiah provided for us 
is we had these three ladies in our church, Bev, Evelyn, and Norma. Um, Bev had a very powerful ministry with deliverance. Evelyn had a very specific healing anointing. Norma, um, you've met her, had a very strong prophetic anointing. But we used, they used to come over to our home uh, once a week and they would pray over Isaiah. And we would join them and we'd anoint him with oil and we'd quote the scriptures and we'd believe God and we'd hold him and um, you know, just believe God for different miracles in his life. And during all of this stuff that's going on, uh, I remember one time he went through a traumatic um, testing uh, in the hospital and he was just traumatized by it. He was strapped down and he couldn't communicate and um, he, anytime we would lay him down, he would scream in terror. So there was like this trauma. And so we gathered people into our home and we called that trauma out, right? Why am I bringing this up? Because now my kids, throughout the course of their life, they refer to different times because they would watch all this happen. Are you understanding this? They would watch their brother getting prayer. They would get prayed for while they were there. Matter of fact, Evelyn would always give Daniel money every time she came over. She didn't give the other kids money, but for some reason she always gave Daniel money. You know what? That kid's got anointing for wealth. Maybe it came from there. Are you understanding? She'd pinch his cheeks and give him money. I'm like, she likes him. And she, anyway. But all I'm saying is this. As the kids got older, people would go through different things. It would be fun to hear them say, oh man, we need to call Bev. That person needs that demon cast out of them or something. And all I'm saying is my kids became familiarized and open to prophecy, open to healing. They knew the reality of deliverance. Are you understanding this, church? Not because of just what we were preaching in church, but because of what we were practicing at home. Kylie, all the time, whenever Norma's in town, she's like, I want Norma to pray for me. Like, she believes in the prophetic. Daniel wants Norma's enchiladas, but he, she, he also believes <laughs> in the prophetic. I'm just trying to help us, everybody. What if you had people in your home anointing your kids with oil with you, praying through different things with you? What if you allowed ministry to take place in your home and not just in church? What do you think you're teaching your family beyond, oh, all that spiritual stuff, that's supposed to be in church. You're teaching them it's supposed to be in your home, not just in a building called church. You are the church. The gifts of the Spirit operate in you, through you, all the time. Go ahead and stand. Let's close in a word of prayer. Did you get anything out of that today? Thank you for giving me an extra 20 minutes. But again, it's not just one thing. It's the sum total of many things. When we say, as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord, it's the sum total of many choices, many decisions that you lead and that you develop inside of your home. I want to pray for your homes today. And then I'm going to offer you an opportunity to be saved and we'll end. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, right now I come to you. I thank you for these families. I bless them. God, I thank you we're all working on something here. We're working on developing godly homes. The things that happen behind the closed doors of our houses. I pray today if there's one or two or three things that we've seen, that hey, yes, let's add that. We have, we've, not, we've neglected those things. Let's add those things to the practice of our home. I pray they're inspired to do it, not condemned. God, I ask there's faith to build something, not fear. God, I bless these homes to grow, to thrive, to perpetuate blessing generation after generation after generation. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We give you thanks and praise in Jesus' name. If you're excited and grateful for that, would you just give God praise today? Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Let me pray with you. If I can just borrow you for one more minute, please do not leave. Just give me one more minute, seriously, one minute. If you don't know Jesus Christ today as your personal Lord and Savior, I want to give you an opportunity because that's the beginning of everything, submitting to God. The Bible says all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The wages and penalty of our sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ the Lord. The Bible goes on to say, all who will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so I want to give you a chance to call on the name of the Lord today. You may say, Pastor Kevin, I've never asked Jesus Christ to be my Lord and Savior. In a moment, I'm going to count to three and have you raise your hand if that's you 
and we'll pray for you right there. And you're, I'm gonna help you call on the Lord to be your savior. Two, you may say, I used to have a relationship with God, but I've let it grow cold. I've drifted, but I would like a restart. I wanna renew my commitment to the Lord today. When I count to three, just raise your hand where you are, okay? Everybody bow your heads and close your eyes. If you need to commit for the first time or recommit yourself to the Lord, when I count to three, just raise your hand. Ready? One, two, three. If that's you, would you put your hand up? There's a hand back there. Awesome. Anyone else today? Just put your hand up right where you are and we'll pray for you right where you are today. Do not leave this place out of relationship with God. Put it up high so we can see it. Anybody else today? All right, let's pray for the one and maybe others that I didn't see. Repeat this after me. Dear God, I thank you that you see me just as I am. I realize I've sinned and I've walked away from you. I receive Jesus Christ today as my Lord and Savior. I believe that he died for me and that he rose again. Please forgive me for my sins. Wash me, cleanse me, make me new. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Take every part of me now. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you celebrate the one or anyone else maybe? Welcome home, welcome home. Thank you for listening. We hope you've been blessed by the ministry of Calvary Orlando. We invite you to join us in person at Calvary Orlando for one of our Sunday morning worship experiences each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. To find out more about Calvary, please visit our website at calvaryorlando.org. Here you can find our latest events and ministry opportunities. Thanks for listening and God bless.